It's great to welcome Pastor Kevin Pete amongst us tonight, and uh, we're delighted to have him with us. He's sharing tonight, tomorrow morning as well, uh, with us in our morning gathering, and um, we're just delighted to have Kevin with us. Kevin's on our national leadership team of the Elam Pentecostal Churches. He's a regional leader for the Northwest region and Scotland. Uh, I know, I knew Kevin. Kevin knows me from my days in Scotland and Helen and I in Scotland. Many moons, many seems like many years ago now, so a few years ago, 25 years ago, that we actually went to Aberdeen in Scotland before Kevin actually came to Scotland, maybe even. But, uh, but we're delighted. I know that Kevin has ministered into the heart and life of Oasis over the years. But what's exciting is something fresh today. So let's give him a round of applause and welcome him tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, mate. How you doing? Okay. Adrian was saying to me, it's been a, been a sad couple of months just before the meeting. He was saying, it's, in church life, you sometimes have those seasons. I remember in, I, I was a youth pastor in Derby, and we had about three people in about a month pass away with cancer. And it was almost as a leader, you got afraid to pray for healing, because it seemed everybody got worse when you prayed. And it, it can be difficult seasons, but... At seasons like this, we need leaders, um, aspiring leaders, who learn what it is to flow and to overflow. And Adrian wrote to me and gave me a theme. I don't know whether he's announced the theme or not, but he said, Tonight, would I talk about serving and leading in the overflow? Tomorrow morning, talk about living in the overflow and of what God wants for you. And if would you forgive me if I'm honest with you? Is that okay? Is that okay? Well, Peter, I'll speak to you then. That's all okay. Nottingham Forest supporter is very honest. Uh, couldn't be any other worshipping that team. If I was preaching this sermon January to September last year, I could have said to you, that was a really good season. First nine months of the year last year, was absolutely brill. But, but October to Christmas was crud. And uh, that, I would have been really challenged to go with this theme if I was preaching here last November because I, I want to be just very honest. For those that don't know me, and one of the great things coming every couple of years, you see the church change. And some of you, I don't recognize you, but if you're now either leaders or apprentice leaders, well... Obviously, the church is moving on, and that's great to be there. And uh, we need to learn these things about honesty. But my background, just very in a nutshell, because I don't, for those, who's never heard me preach? Put your hands up if you've never heard me preach. Quite a few of you. Um, I look like George Clooney, as you can probably see. I know you, you were probably thinking that as I stood up. I didn't know George Clooney was a Christian. Well, that's not, and I, I have a bit of a lying spirit. But I, I, was, born, I was brought up in Chadisden in Derby. Uh, just a few miles down the road from here, uh, in a brethren church, got saved at 14 years of age, and I became, took the first steps of leadership at 16. I became a Sunday school teacher. At 17, I became a youth leader, and uh, it seems as though I look back on over 40 years of leadership. I've been a deacon, I've been an elder, I've been a youth pastor, I've been an assistant pastor, I've been a senior pastor, now I'm pastoring pastors. I've almost done every role in, in the church that's possible to do. And 
One of the things I've learned in the last 20 years is we've got to be honest with one another because we're not always overflowing. And I, I put in my notes here, and I sat down Friday to write what I've, what I've got for you, for you today. Um, the actual passage, I've actually preached the passage here before, but that was in a renewal setting, not actually in a leadership setting. But um, my, I really, I've got to tell you, and, and those that know me well, I feel very excited since Christmas, um, and tomorrow we'll talk about this, I've got my marvel back. You know when Jesus was born, the, his parents took him to the temple and they prophesied great things about it. And it says Mary and Joseph marveled at this. And after 40 odd years as a Christian and 35 years as a Christian, my prayer has been, Lord, I want to get my marvel back. I want to cry when I sing them songs again. Not think, will it ever end? I, I, I want to get back to when someone gets saved to be really excited. I want to get back. And I, I felt during that period, and I'm not going to tell you what happened, but it was a tough time. Physically, had some health issues. In terms of the job, I felt betrayed by some colleagues. And I felt really disappointed with leaders. And um, it was just a tough time. And I certainly wasn't overflowing. In fact, there was stuff inside my heart that I wasn't happy about. But you see... I've learned enough as a leader over 30 odd years is I've learned to smile, sparkle and be confident and let no one know and like put it all together. And I've really been praying since January the 1st that every meeting I go to, something will happen that will excite my marveler. And I am really believing tonight in this room, I don't know why you're here, I don't know, I mean, first of all, can I say I'm amazed to see so many people on a Saturday night giving up your evening to be here, you either must really love Adrian or he's been a three-line party whip that if you don't come, you'll have to hear ten of his sermons played backwards. Um, I don't know why you all... It's just great to see so many people here. But I really feel challenged by God with a degree of honesty um, to talk to us because it's an amazing privilege to be a leader. I said to Adrian, and I I meant it when I, I met him tonight, I said... It's a real privilege to be able to come here every few years and that he trusts me. He doesn't know whether the last two years I've robbed a bank, ran off with the organist. Well, I married her actually, so I didn't run off with her. I actually married the organist 37 years ago. Um, uh, you, you know, he doesn't know my life. He doesn't know. He may be thinking twice when I, if he'd heard about it. But my challenge, and tomorrow we'll talk a bit more into this living in the overflow, because I actually wrote down, I'm sure some of you are very clever, I looked in a dictionary on Friday, and the word overflow, there were three specific meanings. One meaning said, overflow means to be so filled, there's no room for anything else. And I've got to say, um, but I don't live there. Second thing, it's meaning of the word overflow. It says to flow over the edge or the top, to be so filled with something that you just flow over. Certainly, I have found seasons of my life in the last 30 years when God has been so flowing in my life that I felt that has happened on many, many occasions. But my challenge is after 40 odd years of being a Christian is to keep it fresh. And to keep topping up what's leaked and come away. And the third reason there, uh, the third definition is to fill or cover 
completely. To fill or to cover completely. And for me, the one I, I was really interested in was that first one, that you're so filled, there's no room for anything else. You know, for those of you who are senior leaders, for those of you who are just starting on the journey, it is an amazing privilege. I still get overwhelmed when people invite me to speak. I've had the joy of speaking in many countries. I've I've had a phenomenal, wonderful, wonderful journey in ministry. And it's still an amazing privilege. But, you know, with the privilege, there's a counterbalance And that word is responsibility. And you know, for the people you lead, your Sunday school, your youth, your connect group, your small group, your leading, your eldering, or your pastoring, here's the truth. Here's the truth. Annette's just walked in. Hello, Annette. (laughs) Good to see you. I'm so pleased you've left the Legion, not drank it dry. It's great to see you walking. Fantastic. Last time I saw you, you you were were in a wheelchair. Isn't that fantastic? Praise God. Must be that book I gave you. (laughs) You know, where was I? The the truth is, the truth is, for those who are timing me, we're not starting yet. This is the introduction, okay? Um, If in your heart you're carrying mumps, but as a leader... You are preaching measles to all the people you lead. Listen to me. The people you are talking to will catch mumps. They won't catch measles. And the truth is, you're the message. The truth is, I'm the message. It isn't what I say that will not fool all the people all the time. If you are working with small groups of people or you're pastoring the church or you're leading, if in your heart you are not filled and overflowing, if there isn't that presence of Jesus and there's resentment and bitterness and hurt and stuff, and in my case there was a whole lot of stuff before Christmas. So hear me, as I point out to you, three fingers are pointing back. So I'm talking to me. And um, you can wing it for so long, but the truth is what people will pick up is what you're carrying in your heart. They'll pick it up. So again, if there's mumps there, they'll catch mumps. You can preach all the Father heart stuff, all the Holy Spirit stuff, all the stuff about being filled with the Spirit. But if you're not attempting to keep your lifestyle in such a way. And I I, I heard a quote last year, and when I heard this quote, I thought it was written by a 21-year-old. Because this was a quote I found very hard to digest. And this was the quote. It says, if your memories are more exciting than your dreams, then you've begun to die. It really challenged me because I'm 61 and I've got lots of memories. I've got some f- fantastic things that have happened in my life that, I'm, that I could almost dine out on yesterday's blessings for the rest of my... God has done the most amazing things, but if my memories are more exciting than my dreams, then I've begun to die. And uh, when I heard that, it really challenged me because, and again, I've been on this journey in my own heart because I've got more in the rear view mirror of life, but I'm believing that in the windscreen, I've got some amazing adventures still to have. Yes, I've got, a, I've got great things in some of you young people here holding hands. It's so nice to see you're in love. Uh, well, they just stopped. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that wasn't a rebuke. It was just nice to see you're in love. Uh, you know, the truth is, you think life's forever when you're your age. But the truth is, I don't know about whether people would testify, every decade goes quicker. It, it seems quicker and quicker and quicker. My 40s flew by. My, my 50s went to supersonic speed. And here I am. Don't look a day over 27. But the truth is, I'm nearer the end than the start. But my question and challenge to me as a, a leader is, I still want something from God that's going to overflow in my heart because I want to spend the rest of my life giving it away. I want to influence people. And again, I heard another quote. What type of old person do you want to be? And the answer was, whatever that person looks like, start practicing now because you don't suddenly turn nice at 72. I know... Never in Long Eaton, but in some churches in my region I've been to, there are some people who are in leadership and they are baptized in vinegar. They're moan and groan and criticized. And uh, that's just the pastor's wife. And you're thinking, where is the fruit? Where, where is the overflow? Where is the excitement? Where's the joy of what it is to be a Christian? Oh, it's been a tough time. Oh, and... Let's be honest, things are tough at times. And I would, I would concur. It's, it's a tough time for the church, but, but here we go. Talk about servanthood, first of all, just a little bit. Just a quote to help you. I, I'm going to put some several quotes that I hope you can write down and meditate upon. This one I think will help us, because I, I'm, I'm going to talk more about leadership than serving. But listen to me. If you think, here's a quote, if you think you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. Say it again. If you think you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. I'm here this weekend, and when, I, when Adrian first wrote to me and gave me titles, I hate it when pastors give me titles. I just hate it. because it, it restricts me. But because he asked me, in my attempt to serve Adrian and Helen, I sat down all Friday morning, a whole morning of my life, writing this stuff down and it's an amazing privilege to be here and again I'm not just saying because words I, I still get blown away because for those that know my story um, if you don't at the back there there are a few resources um, this book came out last year there's a picture of me when I was 18 my lord I was handsome um, we, M- Margaret and myself were born um, Chadisden, there's a brook that goes through Chadisden, and I was born on the council estate, because I come back to 1954, I was born on the rough side um, in the council estate. Margaret was born across the brook in the private houses, and my mum used to say to me, um, anyone who lives across the brook, because my mum was a miner's daughter, she said, anyone who lived across the brook in the private houses, they're all snobs. <laughs> all of them. Every single one is a snob who lives in their own house. Well, I discovered that across the brook, they were the best kissers. And so uh, <laughs> we, we went up, got out together there. But for those that don't know, I used to have a speech impediment until I was 17 years of age. I to, when I was at school, I had to go to elocution lessons. I was the, the painfully shy boy at the party, would never speak because I'd get painfully embarrassed. And I find it staggering that God te- has taken me across the world. And the very thing that was my very weakest thing He's turned it into a strength. 
And so that book tells the story of mine and Margaret's childhood in Chadisden. Those of a certain age have even managed to work spangles into it. Um, and and it um, just tells the story of two fathers, really. Most of our books are devotional. And it tells about how Margaret's dad had a great dad. My dad was mentally ill. And so we had a very, I had a very difficult childhood. But it takes our story from childhood um, to marriage. And it just tells you how, what, what God can do with ordinary people. When Adrian announced me, a member of the national leadership team, you know, so I've got to pinch myself. The first time I went to the national leadership team, I sat there next to Wynne Lewis and Colin Dye. And I thought, this is a celestial cock-up. What, what on earth? What on earth? Sorry for the word celestial. Uh, uh, I, 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 I couldn't believe I'm sat with these spiritual giants and there's me from shadow and I thought this is ridiculous and I'd got this awful urge to burst through the door get into the car and just drive home and think this is absolutely nonsense but God can use you and some of you on the start of a journey and no limits it's, it's no limits there's no limits to where you can go if you can get hold of what I'm going to te- talk about in just a moment not started yet We, don't, we haven't done a leadership book per se, but this second book over there is called Dear Sally. And um, this book's been around for probably eight years now. But it tells the story. When we first moved to Glasgow, um, we, we pastored in Glasgow for 16 years. The, the church, thank God, grew from 45 people to 400. We saw God move. We were part of the tremendous move of the Spirit in the mid-90s. We had, a, In fact, that's what first brought me here when Michael Williams was here. But... The truth is, as a leader, and again, we lead us together, we moved to Glasgow in 1990. My wife, who's um, she, she, she's written the, written the book, she's a classical musician, she teaches the piano. We moved to Glasgow and she cried every day for six months because she was so homesick. She was so desperate. The church never knew, but she cried every single day. But in that time... And again, I haven't got time to unpack it, but she wrote to a friend called Sally. And about seven years ago, Sally gave Margaret all, these, the, all the letters back. And we realized God had taught us principles. So it's personal letters, but in it are leadership principles. And because your leaders here wanted to mention it to you, and there's 11 principles by which Kevin and Margaret Pete are now living by that are in that book that may help you. And finally, just to mention in passing, the latest book that's just come out called The Journey, I said earlier, we're all on a journey. We've got a beginning, a middle, and an end. God wants to talk to us, and I'm so blessed by that book. I haven't got time to talk about it. They're all seven pounds. If you come to this church, if you're a visitor, I'm sure we trust you, but I I don't know who you are, but if you're from this church and and you've not got money, take a book with you, take it home, and bring it back to, well, bring the money back tomorrow. Don't bring the book back, um, unless you're ready overnight. Uh, But they're seven pounds each. Look at them, if that's okay. So, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Again, I've read this passage here. I know I have. But it's going to come from a completely different line. 2 Kings chapter 6. It tells a wonderful story of a piece of iron that floats. It's a a little miracle that's tucked away here. But I want to talk to you of this from the point of view of leadership, if that we can. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to meet. And he said, go. 
And one of them said, won't you please come with your servant? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. And they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. And the man of God asked, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Very wonderful little verse. Some of you with long memories might have even remembered me preaching about the thing in a, renew, in a renewal setting here, inviting God. But something I want to share with you about the overflow, because I'd lost it, but no one knew, because I've learned how to be professional. But in my heart of hearts, I knew last October, November, and December, unless something changed, I didn't know what was going to happen. Because for the first time, for 20 years, I was sitting in church board. For the first time in 20 years, I'd gone back to workaholism. Because most men's default position is if you're feeling miserable, work harder. It tends to be what a lot of men do. You turn to your work and so... I was phenomenally busy. I had a bad back. I had a prostate issue. Physically, stuff wasn't going so well, as I said. But more than that, it was this whole emotional stuff of feeling inside my heart that I've spent my life serving, serving other people. And some of the very people who I thought were my friends, people who I thought I was very close to, I felt, I'm not saying it was right, but I felt betrayed by them. And suddenly, what do you do with this hunk of pain that's in your heart when you're supposed to be the point man, when you're supposed to be the leader, when you're supposed to be the one to shed love? Because go back to what I said. If you're carrying mumps and you're preaching measles, you're not going to, they're not going to catch measles. They're going to catch mumps. And I'm very concerned that there's a bitterness residing in my heart that if I don't deal with this stuff, then I'm... I'm I, well, I didn't know, I'm not going to be so dramatic as to say I was, I was on the point of finishing it. That would be overdramatic. But I knew I'd got to get something right. And I felt a little bit like this passage, that I'd lost something. I'd lost my edge. I'd lost the overflow. It wasn't easy. I was praying. Trust me, I wasn't, I wasn't running off with the blonde. I wasn't stealing the money. There wasn't major sin in my life. But for those of you who've walked with Jesus for quite a while... It's not the obvious temptations of money, sex, and power. Sometimes it's the inward things of your heart that no one but you and God knows the state of your heart. So let me just pray before I just unpack this for you. If, if you want to, and I'm going to pray, my eyes are closed. You want to put your hand over your heart because I really believe for somebody here, this is going to be a marvelous night. For some of you, you're going to get some revelation that's going to show you where things have gone wrong. But more importantly, it's going to show you how to put things right. It's going to show you how the, the incredible love of God can help to put these things back together for you. And so, Father, I pray. I stand here. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I feel quite vulnerable, Lord. I often talk about things that happened many years ago. But I'm talking about things that were a couple of months ago. It's still relatively flesh in my mind. And Lord, I, I just want to pray for this wonderful bunch of people, Lord, who are out here, 
that there's probably some of people here, Lord, they've got a few cracks below the surface and something of the anointing and the power and the love of God has begun to seep away and life's kicked in in all of its toughness and hardness and the whole concept of overflowing. Lord, the truth is, for some people here, Lord, even in the spirit I can sense that what's overflowing is pain. What's overflowing is bitterness and hurt. And what's overflowing is misunderstanding and confusion. And Lord, I just pray through this little passage in the Old Testament, Lord, that you would show us, Lord, and show us how it is that we can lose the overflow. And Lord, more importantly, how we can get it back because there isn't one person, I can't imagine anybody in here who wants not to overflow in the things of God, to be so full that there's no room for anything else. And Lord, I just really pray, Lord, that's our aspiration. That's our aspiration tonight. It is not an impossibility. It's an aspiration to go for. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to get sharp in our spiritual calling. In Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, if our memories are more exciting than our dreams, Lord, then you please start to give us some dreams that would push us on to the next level. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, the story I read to you, the school of the prophets, school of leaders. It was a, there was the main man, Elisha, and there was these people who were gathered together who were learning what it is to prophesy, and there was a school of prophets. To me, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that here tonight in Long Eaton, we gather together school of leaders. Some of you are experienced leaders, some of you are well on the way, some of you are just started. You're all at various levels but we're all trying our best to make our lives count for Jesus. But the one thing I know about an axe, I don't know much about axes, but to keep an axe sharp, and to, if ever you've chopped wood, you've got to keep it maintained. If you do not maintain the cutting edge, you get blunt. And when you get blunt, you find that you're not as effective as you were And the axe head actually gets loose on the shaft. If you're not maintaining the shaft, it actually gets loose and it can start to wobble. And when it wobbles and when it's blunt, it can finally come off. And if you're not careful, you can end up, and I hope you've never done this, if ever you've whacked wood without an axe head on, your arm nearly comes off because you bash something and you shake all over and it's so painful. But listen to me, there are leaders all over the UK tomorrow will stand up in church, will be in different places, and they will go through all the actions of the anointing. They will be leading prayer meetings, they'll be leading Sunday school, they'll be leading the youth, they'll be doing all the stuff of ministry. But the truth is, not only are they blunt, for some people, they've lost their point. And that's why some people, you hear some of the tragedies of some of the, quote, top people who fall, it's because they've not maintained the overflow. And for all of us, it can be difficult. So I hope you hear me. This, and if you're hearing one word of condemnation, I want to tell you that you're not hearing the voice of God, you're hearing the voice of the father of lies, the devil. Because I'm not here to bring condemnation, but I've got to paint the picture. And so, so you can say, that's me. That's where I am. No one knows. So we tell the story. They go to start to build. So the first thing is this, and here was me. He lost the overflow. 
He lost the edge. He lost the anointing working for God. It sounds almost like you're being, how can that be? They've not gone out and done something wrong, gone out and got drunk, took some drugs. They're actually trying to serve Jesus. But as in the action of serving Jesus, they actually lose what it is they're actually supposed to be doing. And I realize I don't know the heart of every leader that I, I oversee about 120 pastors, um, 85 churches. That's, that's what I do in my daytime. I pastor pastors. I don't know why people do what they do. But I realize me, sometimes when I first started into leadership, I used to lead sometimes out of an unhealed heart. And um, I used to run really on empty. I think I've told the illustration many times. My wife is an amazing woman. She's a great kisser. She's a great writer. But she's rubbish in the car. And when she gets into her car, or even worse, when I get into a car, she throws me her keys. And whenever I turn her ignition on, something happens. And whenever I'm driving her car, I turn the key and a light goes on. I don't know how she knows I'm going to use the car, but it's like absolutely, she, I turn it on and the light comes on to say it needs some petrol. And it's, it's like she knows somehow, but the truth is she runs her car on fumes. And so I, I don't think I've ever gone below a third. I'm just Mr. Cautious, just in case the gauge is wrong. Get down to a third and I start to panic. Where's the next service station? The truth is, many leaders tomorrow will go to church and they'll begin their process of leading and they're running on empty. There, is, there hasn't been a great week with God. There hasn't been times of infilling. There hasn't been times as it's almost a winged sort of scenario. And bless God, he's, an, he's an amazing. But the truth is, some people go into leadership to meet some unmet needs in their life. Some people go into leadership because you need affirmation. And you think, if only, and for me, here's one of my big issues when I first started. I had a father that never told me he loved me. I had a father who, when I was born, refused to look at me because he wanted a daughter, not a son. He'd got two sons, and he was already emotionally ill. And so he was desperate to have a daughter. He almost forced my mum into a third child that she didn't want. So she's carrying a baby that she didn't really want to have. And so when I pop into the world, July the 14th, 1954, my dad refuses to look at me. The consequences of that took me 42 years to unpack. Because I wanted you to like me. I want you to love me. And so when you become a leader, rather than doing what God says, you're looking for the affirmation of the people you're leading. I could go out the door when I first started in ministry, and if 99, they never did, but if 99 people had told me it was a great sermon, it would be completely ruined by the one baptized in vinegar person who told me that was rubbish. I would spend the rest of the day worrying about the one person because I want affirmation. 
And so when I'm leading, I'm leading out of things that I shouldn't be leading out of. Insecurity. Lack of a father. So many things that were happening. But really, you could use the word an orphan spirit, but fear was a big thing in me. Fear of man. What was, don't want to let anybody down. Yet Ephesians 3 tells us that you and I need to be rooted and grounded in love. God's love. But I wasn't. And so some of you are starting this journey. I hope this is a word of, of encouragement. You've got to seek the Father first. Get the relationship with the Father light and you'll find that things will begin to get so much better. I haven't got time to unpack that anymore. But, but they, he, he lost the overflow working for God. And all I'm asking you is a question. As somebody, and I would say a few months ago, I'd got some unhealed wounds. And I was ministering out of an unhealed heart. And Margaret would say to me sometimes, you're a, you're a bit caustic today, darling. She would say to me, you're a bit judgmental today because our spouse is often our greatest encourager. She could spot things that were not quite right in my heart and I wasn't going home happy. I was going home after nearly every Sunday. I won't say I was depressed, but I was down. Not many came out tonight. It's like trying to raise the pig in dead. Oh, dear me. How on earth? You know, and words were coming out of my mouth that betrayed my heart. Do you know what I'm saying? As a leader, is that okay? I can just see at the back row there, yeah? You know, it's... We have a responsibility to get our heart right. You know, it's a wonderful privilege when Adrian, Helen, asked you to be involved in leadership. It's a great privilege, but come to the responsibility side. Second thing there, he lost the overflow that wasn't really his. In verse 5, it said, oh, for it was borrowed. You know, I love the band. I always, I always, I've always loved your worship band, Tim. Doesn't look very old. He must have, he must have a mirror of his, of his mother in the, um, in, in, the, in the loft or something. But, you know, the band's great. I love modern worship. Um, I, I love lots of things about church. But, you know, it's not about you. God gave me an anointing. It's not mine. It's not my anointing. When I die, it w- they won't bury the anointing with me. They won't bury my gifting in the grave and say, oh, there, there goes a pastor's heart, or we're, we're going to bury a father heart man there. They'll just bury the bones of Kevin. Because whatever God gives you, whatever insight you have, whatever discernment you have, when, if you pray for people and they've got well, if you've been used by God in anything, you've got to remember it's only ever borrowed. It's not yours. Alas, it was borrowed. And you know, sometimes we have to realize why we do what we're doing. And again, another quote, throw another quote out to you, you want to write it down. Here's a rhetorical question. Are you a bodybuilder or are you a weightlifter? My friend Simon stole this off me a couple of times ago. Are you a bodybuilder or are you... What do I mean in that? Now, if ever you've watched these sort of programs with a bodybuilder, these people who 
build their bodies. They take steroids and they pump the iron and they do the stuff and they cover themselves in oil and they want to go to shows where you can see their body. I go to a gym. I don't do anything at the gym, but I go to a gym in Glasgow and I occasionally get into the pool, have a bit of a swim, but I go to the gym and they're there, some of these really guys, and they can't go past a mirror. And they're just, they're just, they're, they're just bodybuilding. It's all about me, Jesus. It's all for me. And they're there. But you see, that's a bodybuilder. There are too many leaders who are bodybuilders. We're supposed to be weightlifters. Weightlifters, it's all about the, the ability to hold the weight and to lift the weight. And leadership is all about helping and serving other people, and helping to carry the load for them, and to be a weightlifter, and to realize it isn't about you. And this worries me. And um, I just really feel, I, I wanted to say this ever so correct. What are you? Pastor, you ought, you ought to have noticed that prophetic word I gave. School of the Prophets, I ought to lead it, Adrian. Because I had a word two years last Wednesday and it was spot on. You know, it's about time Sally retired from an elder. She's 82 now. And, and uh, you know, you, you know, and you, we need younger elders. Someone about 40. How old am I? Oh, I'm 40. What about me? I can say this with honesty. And most of my stories are against me, as you've heard. I have never asked for any promotion any job that I've ever done in ministry, it's always been the result of other people encouraging me and noticing something to say, why don't you have a go at this? Rather than me saying, why don't you recognize me? And that's the big difference, I think, bodybuilders and weightlifters. Pastors, we're here to serve. We're weightlifters. What a privilege. I I don't know this gentleman who's passed away, but certainly when I was in Glasgow, I had the incredible joy of being at the the bedside of many a person in the last moments of their life. And and you do feel incredibly privileged, don't you, to be there at some of the most intimate and private moments of a family's life. And you don't talk about them, you don't share them, but you're just there. And you're basically just sharing the load and taking some of the weight with the family. Are you a bodybuilder? Are you after something? Are you ambitious? Are you a weightlifter? It's all about him. He was, third thing, he was aware it was lost. Thank God he was aware that it was lost. One of my, I won't say recurring nightmares, because that's, again, too dramatic, but one of the things that over the years has worried me is, I don't want to be in a situation when people start to say, see him, he used to be good. See him, he used to carry something. There was a time when he carried something in God and, and it was so, but he's lost something and it's like he's living and trading on yesterday's stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? I want fresh manner. And sometimes we, we, we deceive ourselves And we cannot be honest and say, we're not overflowing. And sometimes it's very difficult to admit that I'm not where I was six months ago. I'm not where I I should be. And 
But people know you, 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 you were amazing 10 years ago. Yes, you were. But it's what you're carrying now and what's overflowing. And folks, it's incredibly dangerous if you don't realize that you've lost it. Or if you don't realize that you're emptying away and that you're not so full that there's no room. It's a very dangerous position to be in. You see, God knows. I put down here. Secondly, your spouse will know. And the third thing, they'll know. The people you're ministering to, they'll know. And sometimes we're the last ones to realize for ourselves. Red light, red light, red light, red light. Red light. Honesty. How's it at? The overflow, the level. What I find with most leaders, when things are not going right, the first thing I find is they get independent. They don't, in my world, they don't go to regional mornings, they don't go and meet pastors, they don't go to conference, they get very cynical and very critical about Elim, and everything's Elim's fault. Red light. Independence, isolation and independence are the two things they isolate themselves. I don't know who's not come tonight, but there may be one person who didn't come tonight, Maybe they're at home doing something else. Made some excuse to Adrian. Can't make it. But the truth is, they know they're not where they are. And they don't want to be in a place where God can touch, touch, talk to them. They want to be isolated. Listen to me. The devil tactics are isolation, annihilation. I have seen it for 30 years. He isolates you out of the body. He gets you by yourself. And if you're not careful, he will destroy you. That's why church is so important. I heard a... A fact that the chap who runs EA, what's his name? Um, forget the man's name. Um, tall, thin bloke. He came to Combs a couple of years ago. He just put out some, some, some interesting statistics about evangelical Christians. And that he's put out some research that says now that the, um, the what's the word? Most ev- evangelical Christians, the ordinary evangelical Christian, now goes to church once a month. And they say they're a regular churchgoer, going once a month. It's scary how we can even dare talk about revival when that they are some of the statistics that we are float, floating in. And one of the things about being together, great word is another phrase about teamwork. Because what independence and isolation, sometimes within church, it probably never happens here, I, when I was leading in Glasgow, some people didn't want to, like leaders, didn't want to be a part of the main church in some ways. That we would, we, once every year, we'd, we'd close the church down for a week and we'd say, we'd say spiritually, we're close for repair. And so we would pray Monday, if Monday night was the youth, Monday night we'd pray for the prayer. If Tuesday was cell groups, we'd pray for the cell groups. It's amazing how many groups came to me and said, we're the exception, we can't stop. We've got to carry on, we need to be meeting. And I'm saying, no, you don't. There's there's something about being together as a church. And the quote I wanted to say was this, if you run alone, you run fast. If you run together... You run far. If you run alone, yes, you can run fast. Oh, I don't need all these other people. I'm going to get the things done. I'm a leader. Make things happen. Yes, you can run fast, but you won't get far. 
if you run together in team, and it's just so staggering to see so many people here. I can only think of one other church that would have so many people out on a Saturday night or in leadership, and that would be Glasgow. That would be my church when they were just absolutely rabid for Jesus too. They were great people. But sometimes running alone, and I see people who, in ministry, who, we don't need anybody else. We don't need a regional leader. We don't need a pastor. And they get picked off. But they do run fast to start with. Go very fast. But they don't run far. And we've got to run far because, I don't know about you, I want to finish. I want to finish the race. I don't want to be someone who gets so far and stops, but... Is this okay tonight? I really felt this was God's word for the church. And if this is for one or two people alone, I'm pleased I'm preaching this. Because this could save you from destruction. And and, and can I say that even more importantly, it will save the people you lead from being confused and hurt when you become a casualty of war. And they'll think, well, I didn't think they would be like that. Because if you don't watch your own heart, because you'll take people down with you. Why does Jesus quote Zechariah when he says, if you strike the shepherds, the sheep will scatter? That's why you take a step into leadership, higher level, bigger devil. It's just the reality. He was aware that it was lost. Well, that's all the bad news. Very quickly, we want to get it back. How do we get it back? Oh, my Lord, he says. Oh, my Lord. Lord, he cries out to God. He talks to Daddy, Father, to say, Oh my Lord, it's lost. Something's happened. And I put down in my notes here, Pray, 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 pray. Those, for those people who say to me, I'm too busy to pray, you're too busy. There isn't a shortcut. When I came back to what I was going through at Christmas, you know, what what was the first thing that stopped when I got a bit offended and a bit hurt and a bit betrayed? What was the first thing that stopped in my life? Was it my preaching? No. I'm still out there every Sunday, smiling, sparkling, being confident, still making people smile, all the things. But the thing that had stopped, no, again, that's too far. The thing that had slowed down to a trickle, was my personal time with God. Because, you see, I think part of me knew that if I talked to him about it, he'd say, Kevin, can we talk about that issue? Can we just deal with that stuff in your heart? No! Because I'm right and they're wrong. (laughs) Sometimes you feel it's more important to be right than to get it right. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, Dumbo. Cry out to God. Second thing I put down there, own up to unhealed hurt. I went and spoke to somebody. You see, who do I go and talk to? It's very difficult where I I am in the pecking order to go and chat to people. But I have to find a couple of friends who would sit down and pray with me where I could say, you know, I'm not enjoying life at the moment. Life is really tough, and I've lost my marvel. I've really lost my marvel. It's, it's become a drudgery and a pain. 
own up to the fact that I've got a love deficit. Own up to my shame. Third thing I put down here, just very practical things. Talk to your pastor, talk to your spouse, talk to your friend. I don't know who Adrian and Helen talk to. Sometimes it can be hard, you know, as a pastor. I remember taking a group of people to Toronto. And uh, most of our church went to a seminar on shame, dealing with shame. And the ministry time at the end of the talk was, there was a ministry team that was sat all around the wall with, with two chairs, one facing out that way, you faced inwards. And they said, right, go and sit with somebody, guy to guy, girl to girl, and go and talk about the thing that you're most ashamed of. I thought, I've come to hear a seminar about shame. I don't want to go deal with it. You know, <laughs> and I noticed something happened. Something happened. We've got, we got about 60 people there. Say 30 men, 30 women. 30 women went and sat on the chairs. 30 men went to the toilet. <laughs> it, was, it was a fascinating thing to watch that all of the women went and sat and they wanted to deal with the hurt of the pain and all the men got very embarrassed. I'm not talking about anybody. And so I've got this dilemma. I'm the, I'm the jolly pastor and I've got to be a leader. So I tentatively go and sit in one of the chairs and I, I talk about something in my childhood, um, which, which I won't go into here, but it wasn't a nice thing that happened to me. And um, it resulted in some problems in my teenage and later and. The man did two things, and two things that were not helpful to me. First of all, he said, oh. And I heard the ho as, you dirty devil. I, I heard it as judgment. Probably wasn't, but I'm very sensitive. And the second thing he said is, have you ever thought of going to tell your pastor? I am the pastor. <laughs> and that's when he did another, oh. I couldn't wait for that to finish. I was so embarrassed. Thank God I've learned to get over some of those things because some of it is part of that whole enemy thing to keep it all in. But sometimes we've got to go and talk to somebody and say, I'm, I'm struggling at the moment. Things are not as good as they should be. Fourth thing I put down there, make yourself accountable. Make yourself accountable to somebody. Can, can I give you two more very quick things? Is that okay? You're all right? Um, I'm speaking to leaders, so I get a bit longer. I'll be shorter in the morning. Second thing I put down here, big thing, is you'll find it in the place that you lost it. What, 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 did, what did the prophet say? He said, where did you lose it? Where did you lose it? Where did it go wrong? For me, it went wrong in October. And I know the day it went wrong. And I know the day I got very angry. And I, and I know the day when I made some inner vows about somebody that they'll never hurt me again. I know the day when I said some things into my spirit that were not good things. And when I got to get myself better and talk about it, I had to go back and visit the day of judgments. When I made judgments, when I made declarations, when I did stuff that I know was not... Probably, probably this is not recorded. <laughs> Might get sacked having talked all this stuff. Um, but I'm just trying to be honest with you because... I really felt that there's someone here this is going to be very helpful to. That for somebody, you're going to save yourself some real angst. But sometimes you've got to go back, and as painful as it is. In that shame seminar, and the next day, I, I was sexually abused um, um, by a member of my family. 
And um, I was 44, 45 before I dealt with that because I'm so deeply ashamed of it, uh, of what happened. It wasn't my fault. I was only eight or nine years of age. But things happened that should never have happened to me. And not even my wife knew at that point. I kept it all, you know, it's all buried. And I'd almost got a, got a, a bit of a religious grid that uh, my past is behind me, I press on, I've got, I've got some verses to quote. But the truth was, it was crippling me inside. And there came a point when I, I'd got to realize and visit some places. Now, I'm not saying tonight we're going to visit all those places because it's, we haven't got the time. But I would really, really encourage you. If you know right now as I'm talking, God's just putting a searchlight and saying, that's where it went wrong. That's where you made the choice. That's where you made the decision. That's where the consequences, and you're still living in the pain of that. But part of the process of getting the overflow back is to go back to the place where you lost it. If it's sin, repent. If it's offense, forgive. If it's hurt, get healed. If it's bitterness, you've got to get better. You've got to find a way through prayer, repentance, and forgiveness to find a way. Thirdly thing there, you get it back supernaturally. This is the greatest news I can share with you tonight. Iron still floats in 2016. What, what, what did the prophet do? You know the story. He broke a piece of wood and he threw the piece of wood into the water. Now, there must be a brook in Long Eaton somewhere. I don't know where the brook would be, but there's certainly one in Shadow. But just, 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 just recommend, go, go, go somewhere with the brook, throw a bit of iron in. And then get a bit of wood and throw a bit of wood in and see if you can make the iron float. I have a sneaking feeling you'll be there until the Lord return. This is a supernatural event. We have a supernatural daddy. I hope I'm not overdoing the illustration, but 2,000 years ago there was a piece of wood that was hung up. It was called the cross. And it's where the Son of God was hung and it makes no sense to the unbelievers, but here we are 2,000 years later. If one of those planes flying off to Ibiza falls out of the sky today and kills us all, guess what? It's not bad news for us. We're going to be with the Lord. I'm going to get a new body. I think Ben, ben Benedict Cumberbatch... I've got the intellectual, whatever. You've got to get a new body. You see, there comes the point, it's supernatural. So tonight, we can start the process. Wherever you are, wherever you're leaking, whatever the problem is, tonight we can recognize and we can start the process of a supernatural God coming to you. And that as leaders, listen to me, and again, I'm not being heavy, it's your responsibility to get, this, get your heart right. Because you want to represent God as well as possible. For 10 years, I misrepresented God with workaholism and orphan heart and drivenness and stuff that was not good. But that was the best I could do. But, I, but people caught the mumps. And I got a church that worked very hard in Glasgow. And we, we sweated blood. But there wasn't much grace or mercy. And the final thing I'm going to say is this. What does he do there? The prophet comes, he throws the stick in, the iron comes to the surface. Now, if, and this may sound a bit irreverent, but some people today 
some of the, quote, Christian superstars, they would probably reach out, they would grab it and say, take it, Helen, and that part of the miracle would be the superstar Christian. But what does Elisha do? He, he doesn't say, I'll take it. He says to you, to me, you take it. You've got to take it. I had to take some steps over Christmas. And I knew it was getting better. Christmas Eve, I end with this. Christmas Eve, I'm in Lanzarote. We go to Lanzarote every Christmas. We don't have kids. It's actually the quietest time of the year for me. Christmas Eve, and we're walking into Porto del Carmen. There's a church there, and there's a German church on. And um, we happened to stop as they were singing in German. And they sang Silent Night in German. Stagelen Nacht, is it? I can't, nacked, you know, it's nacked, isn't it? And I stood, outside this, I stood outside this church, 61 years of age, and suddenly it was like my marvel. And I'm just thinking of Jesus. And I mean, I've been 46 years a Christian. Christmas hasn't moved me for years. In fact, if I'm totally honest, in church life, I wasn't a great fan of Christmas in church. I like Christmas Day, but the truth is, the church in December, forget it, in my, in, in my churches, Everyone got so fixated with Christmas, they forgot about Christ. So I, I couldn't wait to get the Christmas over so we could get back to having real church. And I'm stood there, and my marveler kicked in. Silent night. And Margaret looks at me, and I've just got tears running down my face. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, the night the Savior was born. And it was like, for the first time in probably 25 years, the truth of Christmas hit me. and I thought, I'm starting to get better. I'm starting to get something back that I lost. But I've got to reach out and take it. And I stood there for 10 minutes crying. People were walking past me. Hundreds of people walking past me, thinking, what's wrong with this man? And I'm just, tears are running down my face. Because suddenly I felt like I was falling in love with Jesus again. And some of the stuff that I had, I dealt with it. And it's time to move on. If your memories are more exciting than your dreams, you've begun to die. Can we pray? You've listened so fantastically well. Would you, would you quietly play that music at the back? Um, I asked them to put on some instrumental music if they've got it. Um, if you could just quietly play that because... Could we just put our pens and papers down? I know I've spoken for a good 45, 50 minutes. I've tried to share some very fresh bread that I wrote yesterday, Friday. Through the foolishness of bringing me here, boy from across the brook, been here several times over the years here on some really great weekends and I hope I've not disturbed your trust in me by being honest but I want to lead and serve out of the overflow that's my heart cry today when I got to the hotel I sat down and I just prayed for about 30 minutes that, Lord, would something happen tonight that would be marvelous. I've taken thousands of meetings, thousands and thousands of meetings over the years. 
But if you ask me, the group of people I most enjoy being with now, at this season of my life, I have the immense privilege to regularly address leaders of churches. It's the most phenomenal privilege that I have. But I just wonder right now, church, leaders, long eaten, is there an aspiration to overflow or do you think it's just impossible for you? When I talked about carrying mumps and preaching measles, to overflow means to be so filled there's no room for anything else. I wonder whether we're honest enough here today. Well, I don't know. All I can do is just give you an opportunity. I've done the best I can do. The most amazing things can happen in the next five or ten minutes before we go. You could engage with Father. But first of all, we've got to admit that we've lost something and the edge isn't as sharp as it was. And I'm not going to bring you forward at this point. I'm not going to bring anybody out. But as our eyes are closed, if this evening something that I'm sharing is there's a real resonance in your heart, and you know that you may you may have been here 50 years, you may have been here five weeks, but you know that the overflow is not working. You're not so filled because of stuff. We're not going to get all uppity about whatever the stuff for me was physical and it was emotional. Yours may be completely different stuff. I have no idea. But if tonight you're saying to God, I really need to get my heart right. If that's you, would you do something for me as every eye's closed, please? I I want to encourage prayer in just a moment. I'm not going to bring you out. We're going to pray just where we are for a while. But if tonight you feel this, this, there's a resonance of the Spirit that's saying, that's me. Would you do something for me? Not even get you to put your hands up. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to look up, catch my eyes. And once you catch my eye, I'm going to look at you, then just close them again. God bless you. 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 God bless you there. Just catch my eye. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you there. God bless you. God bless you there. God bless you, princess. God bless you, sir. God bless you there. God bless you. God bless you. I see you there. There anybody else? Just gonna have one last look. It's a bit dark where you are. God bless you there. God bless you. I'm going to do something that's very unusual in a Pentecostal church. I'm gonna leave a little bit of silence where we can just talk to God. pray a little prayer then I'll pray a second prayer but I'm going to ask God just to come and my thing is now it's just reaching out to him and you've got to take it 
the supernatural power of God is here. I believe it. I feel it. I know he's brought me here for this weekend. I know in the midst of all of the economy of God, I'm here for such a time as this. Father, I feel I've not handled this as well as I could have. That's always the truth. But I pray for my dear friends who've just responded. Lord, they're my friends. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. And Lord, I don't know where they are on the journey of what they've lost, how they've lost it. But Lord, step one is to realize we have lost it. And so Lord, I just pray, Lord, just right now, Lord, that we just come to that point where we just say to you, Lord, I'm not where I was. And Lord, please forgive me. And I own up to my unhealed heart. And I ask you by your wonderful Holy Spirit that, Lord, that's the metaphor for the miracle today. That the Holy Spirit would come. And, Lord, in our hearts, we reach out and we take hold of your hand. We say, Daddy, we want to be rooted and grounded in love. Lord, we don't want to run alone anymore. We want to run together so we run far. Would you come, Holy Spirit? And we pray for the miracle of the cross to come past our life. And say, Lord, would you please come and fill us again? And where there are cracks, would you begin healing? Where there are blockages, would you bring revelation so we can deal with them? Where we need to forgive, we choose to forgive. Come now. I'm going to stop praying. Just for a couple of minutes, allow the Holy Spirit to permeate you. And I wonder whether something that will make you marvel will just be restored to you. I don't know. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy safe place. Safe place. Safe place for tears.
one of the reasons I didn't invite the band back because I wanted them to have a chance to respond, just like everybody else. Hallelujah. Do you come, Holy Spirit? Do you come? Reconnect us, Lord. Reconnect us to the tap. Let our marvel begin to marvel again. trying to ask the Lord how to close this um, and I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable so you don't have to do this but there's something about a fellowship that prays together that's, that's, that's just an amazing you, here you are, you're leaders, you've got great responsibility and it's a great privilege to serve the Lord together here in Long Eaton here's what I want to suggest that we do get in groups two or three very small groups and why don't we pray for each other for the overflow as leaders and if there's a specific prayer request you want to share then that's absolutely great but just for a couple of minutes then Adrian can just finish where he wants to finish and I, again if you feel uncomfortable with that don't do it just pray yourself you don't have to do it I'm just trying to sense a way to bring a ceiling to this and there's something about, you're the leaders, you're the ones. Whatever you're carrying is what Long Eaton will catch. And there's something about, look, we don't want to run fast alone. We want to run far together. We want to, we want to be together. We want to carry our walking wounded as well as those who want to run on fast. Slow down and be together. And I just think it would be a nice thing if we, to get into groups of two or three, no bigger than that just where you can just pray for each other and pray for the overflow to overflow. To pray that we'll get so filled that there'll be no room for anything else. That'd be okay. You may need to stand, you may need to move, make a turn round. And um, not that I want to disturb it, but just something about collectively as leaders, praying one for each other for the overflow of the Holy Spirit. If afterwards anyone wants personal prayer, I'd gladly pray with you. I know Adrian will as well, but just feel it's just good as, as leaders together. I'm talking about teamwork. Well, let's do that. Let's pray together. Come on, guys, let's move.